Welcome to CMO Confidential, the podcast that takes you inside the drama, decisions, and choices that go with being the head of marketing. Hosted by five-time CMO, Mike Linton. Welcome marketers, advertisers, and those who love them to Chief Marketing Officer Confidential. CMO Confidential is a program that takes you inside the drama, the decisions, and the politics that go with being the head of marketing at any company in what is one of the most scrutinized jobs in the executive suite. I'm Mike Linton, the former Chief Marketing Officer of Best Buy, Farmers Insurance, eBay, and Ancestry.com, here today with my guest, Dave Penske. Today's topic, a media maven discusses the marketplace, media, and CMOs. Now, Dave has been in the agency business his entire career, including positions as the CEO of Zenith Optimedia, COO at Publicis Group, and as the CEO of Publicis Media two times, a job which he currently holds. Full disclosure, I've known Dave for quite a few years as our past crossed when he ran Zenith and I was working as the CMO of Farmers. I felt Zenith was really an innovative partner and very collaborative, so I'm delighted he's joining our show. Dave, why don't you give us a quick overview of the business marketplace and what you're seeing today? So I'll start with the media marketplace. Um, it's interesting. We are in actually the first buyer's market in more than 10 years. So as a person who came up through the investment side of our business, um, it's always nice to see a buyer's marketplace after many years of double-digit CPM growth for the uh, for the sales side. So this is an opportunity I think the clients are now seeing to get increased advantages in pricing and opportunities and opportunities to test in a different way than they were in the past. More flexibility and really have a true buyer's market, client marketplace that they're getting an advantage. So what we're seeing, though, is a, a bit of lack of confidence on the advertising side to spend. And that's what drives this buyer's, this true supply and demand marketplace. The general number to look at for us from a, from being and running an ad agency is corporate profits. And what you're seeing is actually very strong corporate profits across most of our industries. Usually you see corporate profits, you see very high advertising spend. What we're seeing right now, actually, though, is just a lack of confidence in the next quarter, the quarter after that. So I think as we're, we'll see what happens over the next couple of months, I still am optimistic 75% of the time. There is that 25% of me that worries uh, that, you know, we're going to have a recessionary period. We're going to have a down dip. Some of the things that are happening globally will then affect the U.S. market. And what I'm talking about today is certainly focusing on, on the U.S. marketplace, U.S. CMOs versus uh, the overall global marketplace, which is a bit different by market. So if I if we just talk about the U.S., what I heard you say, and, and correct me if I'm getting this wrong, is the consumer's back and there may not be a recession or the consumer has not tailed off, but the companies are, are actually... The, the the cost structure is less, so this is this is a pretty nice place to be, and this could be one of the first times that's happened in a long time. Is is that what you're saying? Absolutely. So if you're a, a client that's spending and looking at this as an opportunity to gain market share, look at this as an opportunity to try something new, uh, to actually be more efficient in your advertising, absolutely. I think actually the consumers are spending. Um, I think where we're seeing is a, a, a just a lack of confidence to push forward completely. And, you know, I think that we've seen some ups and downs where you've had a fall off of e-commerce, you've had a fall off in some places that were so strong during COVID 
it just wasn't going to continue. There are the effects of COVID. Um, you still see today in terms of even going inside of people not getting vaccinated. So there's not that there's there's a people not going into stores to get those vaccinations, spending money on in-store. At the same time, people not ordering as much online as we were during those days where the 25 Amazon boxes show up to your house every day. So that all of those changes <laughs> are something boxes. that we are we are we're dealing with as a, as an industry, as that affects both our our retail clients, our packaged goods clients. Um, those are all things that we're looking for and making those decisions. But I do think this is an opportunity marketplace for advertisers for sure. And I and can you can you give our listeners a sense of just how big publicist media is? Because I, I would love for everybody to know, hey, here is the marketplace we are talking about because it's it's really pretty big. So uh Publicist spends about $80 billion a year um, on behalf of our clients. And what that equals to is about one out of every $3 of the holding companies. So out of any any uh, any dollars spent by a holding company, uh, one in three is publicists. So we are uh, about 35, 36% of the U.S. holding company market. Now, there's obviously a long tail of of smaller agencies and smaller uh, clients that are doing direct, and, and, and but in that long tail, but in that enterprise business we have about about a third okay let's just let's just go with really big so yes. uh, so so let's talk about some of those negatives in the in the 25 percent we've been watching all the tech companies cutting back employees yeah we're having a recession no we're not having a recession we have the writer strike out there and then we have the pullback of all this easy money that was sitting there driving a lot of the economy you're saying this is driving some conservatism on on company sake how is that playing out in discussions with with your your clients? Like, what are they? How are, how are they talking about it? It's a little bit by category. So I think if you look by category by category, it's quite different. So if you're in the, the pharma space or the QSR space, um, you know, obviously from a from a client standpoint, for us, very strong that are that are still absolutely spending. Um, I think you're right on the tech side. Um, we look at our business, we certainly have a number of tech clients that are we are seeing some fallback from. But if you look at the major cuts, um, we're not seeing those significantly. We think that we'll actually have an advertising spend increase in 24 versus 23. So as I look forward, um, across, across most major categories, where we don't see a spend dip in 24. We just, I, I just don't see that overall. By category, certainly in a tech category, a couple of places you'll see it. And a lot of those categories are dominated by one or two clients that also they take a huge cut and it affects the entire industry, the entire entire number. But take away tech, um, we are seeing a very strong um, spend. And again, this is single digits. This isn't like we're up. You're, people got used to this crazy increase in, in, in spend and this crazy increase in, CM, in, in CPMs. But we are still seeing very strong spend against almost all of our major categories outside technology. So let's write marketers and advertisers in the list a little bit right, and, and say, what in, what should they be thinking about now as, as they go forward? I mean, you have all this uncertainty and later on in the show, we'll talk about AI and everything else. But but what what you know, you see an awful lot of companies. What what should they be thinking about now? I think for each advertiser, it should be what is important to them. I think it's one of those years where the answer for a long time has been no. So you went to a partner, they said the answer was no, because 
there was so many hands at the table. You were just the first person to say yes, was able to buy the inventory with the bad. So I think for the, for clients, it's what's most important for them. Is it a new measurement? Is it new data? Is it ability to connect better to the consumer? Is it longer attention? What is it that's driving? Or is it more flexibility? And then to get those terms this year, where you have an opportunity to really make a difference versus years where it was a, a seller's market where you kind of had to say yes or get nothing. So I think this is a year where you go client by client and say what's important. So for, for most of our advertisers, I think flexibility is continuing to be a, a factor. I think we've gotten very used to a digital age where you can cancel in 24 hours. So as you move into an upfront marketplace, which had been for years and years very rigid, I think the, the client's ability to have a much more flexible marketplace Certainly, you're going to want a price advantage, a significant price advantage. So you're going to be able to get what you used to buy at a, at a better price. And then the third one is, what is those kind of key, that key KPI for you? Whether that is going to be subscriber growth for uh, down app download, whatever that would be for the client that's key for them. How do you kind of get that measurement built into your buy? How do you get that is part of your marketing um, ecosystem? And you're able to make those connections. So Many times, and it's not just the walled gardens we think of, of Meta or Google, but the overall walled gardens of most of our um, advertising networks. How do you get in there? How do you get that measurement? So you get the closed loop measurement as an advertiser. Understand if we're trying to drive subs, if we're trying to drive a, a app download that we know that app download drives a higher loyalty or higher spend or whatever it would be. How do we get go about doing that? I think that's something that you know all advertisers should be looking for. What are those three or four KPIs? And they're different by they're different by advertising, and they're certainly different by category. So I hear you saying a couple of things here. I want to make sure I'm getting it right. One is this is the year to negotiate. And if you're going in the upfronts, and if, if for people that don't know the upfronts, it's where you're buying basically 12 months out. <laughs> um this is the year you put all the contingencies and negotiation on the table you want so that you can carry that into the future years. And I also hear you saying a lot of the digital world is maybe ready to negotiate a little more than they have in the past, particularly on measures. Absolutely. Those are perfect, perfect summary. Absolutely. I think it's, it's just a time and you only get so many of these years. So it's really important as a CMO or as an advertiser or agency to take advantage of the situation. Because this negotiation on measures has been just a, a tough time for CMOs forever. And if, if that can be negotiated this year and stick around, that's a, that would be a think, big win. I think most of our partners are actually pretty um, agreeable to it. I think that when you get into it, um, you know, every on all sides of these, um, there's always two sides, right? So I, I think most of it are partners, whether that, you know, be across kind of the the larger linear companies or the stronger digital companies. I think people want to get the better measurement. I don't think there's anyone's against better measurement, but I think that, you know, there's the accuracy of what we've had in the past. I think that is the, the media markets change so dramatically in terms of, this is almost all post COVID in terms of what was streaming and even the services. If you think about it, Four years ago, half these services didn't even exist. So, I mean, Disney Plus is only in year three, and that was the really the second one after Netflix. And everything else has been post the last three years. So, it's each of those services and those companies have had to learn um, in terms of how many subs, how many ads, what, what is that supported, how many people are going to be paid versus free. If you look at Netflix as a great example of they expected to have a lot more advertiser-supported uh, consumers are now, and it's still a very low number. I mean, it's a fairly, a extremely low number, rounds basically to zero. 
that are actually using this ad-supported Netflix. So I think that those were all change, um, but that we're in the middle of that right now. And when you have a buyer's marketplace, it's very important as advisors on my side or as clients uh, look at it, make sure you take advantage of it and get what's important for you, whether that be flexibility, price, or a, a measurement piece um, that is key to how you then deliver your KPIs. And that's really important to do. Excellent. Let's let's take advantage of you in your seat and overseeing $80 billion of spend and seeing what's going on and tear apart some of the things that have gone on, you know, in marketing in and business over the last couple of years and talk about it a little bit and go forward. Did the era of sales growth at all costs undermine long-term brand building? You know, we had a couple we had a couple of years where it was yeah, I would say uh, yes, but it's been, that's been true for that's been true for 50 years. I think you might have seen more of it in the last two years, but absolutely I think that we've seen this and I think that the, the clients that look for long-term versus clients that are looking for th to hit this quarter. And it's tough. It's it's very easy for me to say you should look for long-term growth. This should be a your, your full sales cycle. And as we know, each of us has a quarterly pressure. We have quarterly pressure. So do all of our clients, how do you get out of that cycle? Because you know that when you're chasing the number for the quarter, whether it be e-commerce or brick and mortar, it doesn't make a difference what it is. You're chasing that quarter. Very often what you're doing is you're trying to get a smaller funnel to make sure you're using your dollars more efficiently. The problem is yeah. now you've created a smaller funnel. So, and I think that's something that um, we we have certainly seen, and you know we have an, inside of our our group we have is we have affiliate marketing company with CJ, which goes down to you know thousands of clients, to a a certainly our enterprise business around our media agencies or creative agencies or Sapien or Epsilon, but for all of those things you see, um, there's companies that are in the Fortune 10 or the Fortune 10 million. And certainly there are people chasing quarters. And there's people that are looking at more longer term and long term customer value. But that's that's something that we're going to always see. Um, yeah. And I think I've seen that forever. I think that even we might have had that conversation like uh, 10 yeah, years yeah. ago. So yeah. My, my, yeah, my thing is sales yeah. overnight, brand over time. And you have to strike yeah. the right balance there. But yeah, if you're in some industries, if you don't get the sales overnight, you're not going to have the brand over time. And so so that that puts a lot of pressure on certain businesses. No, I think that we saw that pressure. And I think what was also magnified by that issue was supply chain. Because then it became, should you advertise if you have nothing to sell? What happens to your brand in those periods? I think that many of our advertisers struggled with that. And that, you know, should, what should you do? And there's no great answer to it. We, we've certainly given advice and we've, we've worked with a number of clients on that issue because what, what do you advertise when you have no product to sell or you're already sold out? Are you going to then anger the consumer going, oh, my God, I want to buy that. And it's not for sale on shelves or at, at a, you know, at an auto dealership or whatever it would be. So I think that there was a another piece to this that was challenging um, as you had distribution and distribution issues first. Then after distribution issues were solved, we had supply chain issues where you couldn't even you could sell the product, you couldn't buy the product. And then you had a thing, then you had a, a bit of a glut of demand, which then got satisfied. I think that's what we're coming out of now, where we're into more of a regular cadence on the marketplace, where you're launching products, you have supply, you have that, you have distribution, you're then launching that product to the to consumers. And and then we're also seeing at the same time the changing of those products. So if you look at, you know, we've we talked a little bit about streaming from the advertiser side, um, but there's also streaming from the sales side. 
side of how do you go about selling it? What percentage is ad supported? What percentage is ad partially supported? I think Hulu has an amazing model. I think the Hulu model is a great model where you have, you know, fully um, pay that you don't want to watch any commercials. You make that choice. You then have an, a, a partially ad supported and a fully ad supported model. And I actually think if you look at the future of our business, that's where I think we're going. I think that type of model, and everyone's kind of in that now. And I think over time, and you know, we're, we're I know we can complain about, oh my God, this price has doubled, this price has doubled, or this hasn't. But and 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 it's over a three year period. These have only existed for less than all these less than three years. So, and I think is if we if we gave those companies a little bit of room to figure, which I think what they're doing now is figuring it out. How yes. and I think they have to also look at how are consumers going to respond to that. And I think what we're seeing more and more of is. There are some consumers that say, you know what, for this thing, it's my favorite thing. Um, you know, I am the biggest okay. Disney fan on earth. I'm going to pay. I don't want to watch commercials. Or they'll say, you know what, I only use this service once or twice a month, and I actually am going to be fine with commercials. I understand that I'm trading my time to watch ads to that. And I think we're going to see. I think you're going to see a, a a bit of a thinning of this out. And having this model for everyone will be a much, if you think about it, it's not that different than cable was 20 years ago. It's no, actually it's some of the same okay. people involved. It's, it's we're, we're in the same cycle where you're having this model play out. So I do think we're going to go into the aggregator model and you're going to see some more and more of these companies combine, as you've already seen with the Warner Brothers Discovery. I think they've done a, a great job with Max. And I think you're going to see more and more of those types of the, of behaviors and necessity in terms of that that type of model. And they, that's basically what Max has rolled out. Well, and I also, you know, you see traditional TV and a lot of traditional just brand uh, building things just uh, in full retreat. So, uh, so we'll see how this plays out. Let's talk about, you know, Two real issues, we can combine them, brand safety and brands taking a socio-political stand. Like, you get to see this across probably as much as anybody. Tell us, what do you see going on there? Uh, on brand safety, I think that um, I think we're probably seeing, uh, especially, I'll speak to enterprise clients, so our, our, our largest clients, um, I think that they are as conscious of brand safety as ever before. I think that we we want our clients want to use user generated platforms because they have huge reach. Look at where time spent, time is being spent on TikTok and YouTube. But it does worry clients as you get into that, that once you get into user generated, um, you do always have that risk. It's never going to be 100%. And I, I think that each of them um, have done, done a really good job from if you look at what Meta's done, what, what TikTok's done, what trying to to improve and even twitter and youtube really improve that brand safety but it's never going to be 100 and it's never going to be the same as it is on an nbc where you have a brand you literally have a safety instructions even then everyone's while it sneaks through but they're going to look at because of the size and depth and ability for user generated it is challenging um, so I think most clients are making that choice. We have, you know, I think probably the place where this has played out the most is Twitter, where, you know, we have clients that have, have stopped spending and, and and decided that the risk is not worth the reward. And others that have said, hey, look at the model. It works for us. And I think that there's going to always, very similar to you make, you make look at the, how much you put on sales, how much you put on brand. I think this brand safety is something that we are going to um, continue to see um, since, largest reach vehicles have less than those well, who don't. I, and look, my thing about all the largest reach vehicles, 
where it's like Jurassic Park. The dinosaurs always get out no matter how much you try to keep them in. And the real thing you have to have is a plan for when your brand safety is blown and what how fast you're going to recover because it's just a matter of time usually before you're going to get hit by this. Is that... Is, is, that, is that Jurassic Park analogy fair enough? I, I think it's a fair comment. I, I think that you, when you get into this, this is something that you're going to be up against. There's really a, you're never going to be perfect. And I think that also is you're never sure of who you're going to offend. So you asked the geopolitical one, it's the next one. It's, it's the same thing. It's it's the, you know, I, I certainly, you know, uh, Anheuser-Busch is one of our clients. They're a great client. And they got caught up in a, a situation, obviously, with ABI and Bud Light. Uh, that was very unfortunate. And that is still playing out now. And, and that's something that, you know, many of our clients deal with. And I can't discuss that one specifically, but certainly um, we see that play out. I think that a number of our clients have looked at influencers and how do you use influencers and how do you make sure you have brand safety there? And I think it's something that, um, again, is the, the larger the client gets, the 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 more apt they are to be more stringent and, and really look at that. And I think that that incident um, has caused many of our clients to rethink influencer and to rethink how those play out. Yeah, we had Kim Whitler on, who's a professor at Darden, who is also a CMO and uh, you know a general manager, and she's saying her research is saying when most brands should probably not be playing in the socio political arena because Absolutely. they don't win in sales usually. I, I could not agree more. Uh, we also take, to give you a perspective, our point is we don't take any political advertising as an agency. Uh, we say have it completely. We we agree. Uh, that's not where we want to play in. Um, we don't take it for that, basically for that reason. You know, we have certainly our employees and clients are on both sides of the aisle and we're not looking to take a position there. It's not part of what we're doing. We're trying to drive sales for our clients. So we, we're, we're staying away. And I think that you're absolutely right. Um, I think less is more here. And it's challenging because I, I think that as you look at each of these issues, uh, you know, as you're often trying to support something, it then comes off as you're not supporting something else. And I think that's one of the hardest things our clients are balancing on, uh, whether it be a monthly promotion, whether it be a time of the year. And that is something that is is very hard for our clients to manage. And we're helping them with it. But certainly, I think that to stay away from politics is a good idea. Well, and also, I think the data are starting to show, and we'll see how it plays out over time, that the people that already like you expect you to do this. And they don't buy that much more. And the people that are now mad about this buy a whole lot less, as I, I think we might be seeing with, with Bud. But let's let's move on and talk about, you know, what should folks out there be experimenting with now? Put them like ready to do in 24 and 25. What would you tell our marketers out there to be playing with right now? I think the good thing about this massive amount of measurement is a, a much higher ability to, to look at long-term performance. So I think that is is as you rightly said over the last couple of years, you can see performance very quickly from, you know, did we sell more widgets this week than we did last week? And when we made these two changes, we then sold this. But I think the, the most important thing to look at is how does this look long-term? What's the long the lifetime value of a customer? What is the cost of the acquisition of that that lifetime value versus spending you know slightly more you getting your heavy consumer to buy one more product is much easier but it's not really helping the long term term value i think also what we're needing to look at for our clients is you're now looking at you, know, you had gen x which was a small generation now you have the the generations below gen x which are much much larger generations how are you bringing those generations into your brand 
And I think the, the necessity for brand advertising is bigger than ever before. You have more store brands that are accepted by consumers that are used to buying store brands. And then how do you make sure as a, as a client that's not a store brand, as your CPG, how do you break through? And I think that's something that looking at that lifetime value customer, look at the value of the brand and how that then eventually goes to sales is something that our, our, our clients are doing, but I think can always do more of. And I think the, to try to, to move to that um, with partners, meaning that as you're working with, whether it be a Disney, NBC, or whether it be a Meta or a TikTok, how can that more than just a, a even if better than the last click attribution, but looking at some models that are looking more at lifetime value, and how are you bringing new customers into the fold, truly incremental reach and truly incremental customers? Because I think that's the thing that we need to be doing, and I think it's an opportunity in this type of market where if you if those dollars go further, that's where they should be going to really look at that incremental and look at that lifetime value. Those are the two things I think we need to be doing more of than we are right now. Got it. Hey, so well, it's, it's very easy to oversimplify it when your quarters due tomorrow and you need to you need to sell ten million dollars worth of widgets. So I, I do it. I am self aware, by the way. All right, there we go. So you you've met hundreds of CMOS. You know, a, a lot of our uh, a lot of our guests have talked about how the job is more complex and harder than ever before. What's your take on that? And what advice would you give CMOS right now that that it's still the shortest tenure job in the C suite? Um, it's funny. I, I, I think a CMO job has been a hard job for a very long time. So I don't. I don't think that. Yeah, it's me interesting. too. Me too. No, I, I, no. <laughs> I, I think it's always had this short tenure, and I, I, I think often um, that is something that is out there. So I don't. I don't really see this as evolved dramatically differently. I think that we, you have. Uh, it's always been a challenging position. Um, I actually think that the the CMOs that are where the role has changed most. I think is we've also seen some of the best CMOs that are involved either in, in two places. One, they're much more involved in the technology side because I think as you're making decisions, whether it's a, a, a for instance a QSR where you're maybe decision, making decisions on a menu board at the same time you're doing advertising to promote that menu board because you allow in a digital age to be much more involved in the technology, whether that be the app. You think about it when you have a customer that's download your app, the your ability to then drive that value of that customer is dramatically different. So I think if you look at it from that perspective, what is driving the, the truly driving um, the, those technology decisions and making sure that you have a seat at the technology table because if the technology is not meeting the advertising, then it, it's a problem. And I think that the consumer, when they're looking for advertising and they're looking for that, they're expecting more and more of our clients from a technology standpoint that it's seamless. I mean, what Amazon's done to understand what's seamless, the one buy in Amazon, the one click right. that allows you to make that quick transaction. I download this app and there's an expectation that this client and this consumer now knows me better. And that I have this app it, it, and when I make a phone call, it, it should know who I am. And when I'm looking to upgrade my plan, if I'm looking to buy this thing, it knows who I am. They know that I've purchased this object the last 11 months. It doesn't need to then ask me the question again. So I think that ability to connect with the technology of the company and be part of that roadmap and understanding what the consumer expects and really what is that, you know, the, those consumer scores and how we improve those consumer scores, how we improve that is something that is much more tied to the CMO than it was 
you think about it before it was, oh, they're, they're building a technology to make our company work like shipping. But now it's much more about the technology to make our advertising and really our overall communications with the customer more tied together. So that's one. And the second piece is more involved in the business of the company, meaning that, you know, what because we're able now through data to make decision making. I see it in, in the number of industries, in the auto industry, where the, the the CMO is involved, even we saw this during COVID in terms of which cars to push because of where supply chains were, how to then look at the advertising plan to match the supply chain, which I don't think I've ever seen before. I mean, it, it was happening, but not in the same way that it is now. So I think it's, it's an attachment much closer to the business of the client and much closer to technology. I mean, I think we even see clients where the CTO reports to CMO. If thank you for that. If if I if I summarize that, let me let me make sure I'm yes, getting it. The first one I think is, and I've always been a proponent of this. The CMO really is also paying attention to the customer experience and everything you said about the app. To me, is I'm not building technology for the company. I'm building it so the experience for the customer is way better because that highlights my my brand. Uh, and then the second thing is be involved in the business. And a lot of our guests have also said learn to speak finance. If you can't speak finance and you're talking about brand awareness, that's great. But no, you can't, you can't, analysts don't care about brand awareness on Wall Street. They care about sales. So, so you gotta, you gotta be. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's about being a business. I think interestingly, I would say 95% or more of my CMO conversations are truly about the business. Hardly ever about, do I like this ad or not? It's much more about what's driving their business. And I think most of our, our CMOs are very entrenched in the business in terms of this is what's driving this metric. We know we need to drive this metric to drive this many app downloads. This many app downloads drives this type of sales input and, and going up to that. And I, I think that you know our CMOs are doing well, having a, a real understanding of the business and much different than a CMO even of 10 years ago in terms of the ability to, you know, do an earnings call almost on their own if they had to because they're so entrenched in the in the business versus where, where it was, uh, where it was more like, well, that's marketing is on the side. So I, I think that we're seeing more and more of that. And I also see from our side, we are meeting with more CEOs than ever before in terms of the CEOs understanding and wanting to know more about the marketing side and our ability to use the data and analytics that we're collecting now to help them make business decisions. And I think that where a great CMO does is takes those insights, takes that data, and is able to help the business leaders make decisions, whether that be certainly in finance, but also across the board in terms of if you're looking at you know what kind of content you're producing, what type of thing you're doing for the consumer experience, and kind of exactly what you said about Mike is is that that consumer journey loop um, for the company, uh, and not purely on just the marketing side. Okay, what is on the horizon for media, and and also since everyone's talking about AI, we just have to say and AI's effect on on media. Well, I think one thing I would say about media is we've had AI for quite a while. So I, I think it'll have a smaller effect on the media agencies as it would marketing overall. Um, you know, we've had, you know, going back to custom algorithms for, for years and years, we've had a lot of this has been automated for a long time on the media side, whether that's through DSPs or SSPs or um, the technology and data that we've been using for, for a number of years and the automation of media buying, which has been going on for 10 plus years. 
it's getting more sophisticated as we go do that. But I think the larger effect that we're seeing in the short term uh, right now certainly is on the creative side. I think you're seeing some of that. Um, but I, I will tell you, and, and I don't think there's anything that we are we are significantly invested behind this. And almost all the holding companies have come out. I'm not going to say anything that is going to be revolutionary here. But this is something that we're continuing to watch. Um, I do think it's something that is we are looking to, for some of our clients, it's going to have a huge effect um, in terms of the amount of your ability to personalize creative is going to be absolutely uh, amazing. I think one of the structural things things will have to happen on the client side to prove things. I think that we're going to have to give up some control. You talked about brand safety earlier and the ability to say, you know, well, we can live with this. And you're like, well, no, we can't. It's like your Jurassic Park. It's going to have to be this very similar in AI because we can create 10,000 assets. Who's going to prove the 10,000 assets? Are you going to allow AI on a client side to prove those assets? And that's something that's going to be um, certainly very scrutinized. So I think that there's going to be Right now, we're seeing um, some some really great examples, but I, I think if you go forward, um, there's going to have to be some changes on the client side to be able to keep up with the pace. I think the agencies, um, and even on the the, the uh, partner side, will be move faster, and then we're have to get how, how do you get approvals done? How do you make those things happen? Um, and also de-risk it. Is I think that we've already seen some challenges um, in this, and you know the, the same way you talked about politics or other things, um, this will be something else that we have to watch out for from a you know, regulatory is one part, but even more than that is going to be you know from a brand safe standpoint. Thank you. Last question, and it's a two yes. part, and you can take both or one, but okay. you have to take at least one. Practical okay. advice, practical advice, and or funniest story you'd like to share with our listeners your pick or both let me think i, I didn't really read this ahead of time so i'll say for the um practical advice is always be on time I, I think it's the one thing you control and i think it's it's shocking to me how many people still can't get this one right and i i think being on time is is one of the, the people ask me and what's interesting is uh, I, I meet with lots of CEOs and every single time they're on time early. And I think it's interesting that it's if you start talking to a number of CEOs, you'll see it's almost in common that they are manically early. Most of their families probably hate them for it. Uh, but it's a consistent thing. If you want to become a CEO, be on time. It's also a um, discipline thing. Like on time shows discipline to the whole org. So, I guess. And yeah. it's also, I think, a respect and yeah. uh, it's it's a little lack of of awareness and things. But I think being on time is is, is a funny story. Um, I think an appropriate funny story is is even tougher. So I, I'm going to pass on the second one for now. Right. Mike. If, I, if I come I back to all things. Good, good Penske brand safety answer there. So, so I had one, but I'm going to pass on that one. So yes. All right. So thank you, Dave. And thanks to everyone for listening to CMO Confidential. Look for our other shows on Evergreen, Spotify, Apple, and YouTube, which include Protecting Your Business Integrity, Advice from a Chief Legal and Ethics Officer. A leading business thinker and futurist talks about what's next. Is the CMO position headed for extinction? And why is B2B marketing so bad and what can you do about it? Hey, all you marketers, stay safe out there. This is Mike Linton signing off for CMO Confidential. Today's episode of CMO Confidential is brought to you by CMOcoaches.com. Are you a current or aspiring chief marketing officer looking to take your career to the next level? You should work with a CMO coach. 
CMO coaches are former CMOs who are nationally certified coaches. So whether you want to improve your leadership skills, develop your team, or drive better business results, we have the experience and expertise to help you succeed. To learn more, visit us at cmocoaches.com. Hi, my name is Sarah, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I offer you some feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com. Are you tired of the same old productivity hacks? Have you read the top 20 books on effectiveness and yet your work days and email inbox still causing anxiety, burnout, and even depression? Ready to learn the latest in brain-based modalities, techniques, and technologies to optimize your success and well-being? Welcome to the Focus to Evolve podcast where we'll illuminate your path to spacious productivity and balanced thriving. Each week, we dive into deeply insightful and immediately impactful methods to help you become highly effective while promoting health, profitability, and well-being. Say goodbye to the trance of busyness and hello to your highest potential. It's time to discover a new way of accelerating your mission, growth, and purpose. Join us on the Focus to Evolve podcast and get ready to live your most joyful, productive, and fulfilling life.